uh, we're going to be in Matthew 2, Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, and he took the child and his mother Mary during the night and left for Egypt where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. For some it wasn't so joyful. And what we see in this chapter that we're going to be looking at over the next few Sundays is we talk about the coming of the Messiah and, and, and what for us we're celebrating, what a, the varied responses that were there when the news came out that the king had come, was born. And we're going to look at these responses over the next few weeks. And, and if I were to capture them, it would be like, ah, it's amazing. That's the Magi. The chief priest would be like, uh, could you pass the salt, please? 
And for Herod, it was, where is he? I want to kill him. I mean, amazingly different responses. Excitement, threatened, and apathetic. And, and as we look at these over the next few weeks, and, and we, during this time of Advent, Advent remembering the birth of Jesus, the promised Messiah, what we would really like is for all of us to say, where do we fit in? <laughs> um, how do we fit in with these different responses? Um, and so we're going to start this morning with um, Herod. But I want you to imagine some scenarios because I think maybe it's hard for us to imagine ourselves like Herod. If you imagine yourself like Herod, maybe talk to me afterwards, okay? Um, but maybe we're a little bit more like Herod than we would think. I- imagine these scenarios. Imagine, you can think maybe in the past or, or in the present, that in school, so whether you're in school in the present or in the past, let's imagine that you are or were like the best soccer player or tennis player or football player or chess or knitting or, you know, whatever they do in school. That's a long time since I've been there. Um, so you were the best one, and, and, and you know, you scored the points, and, 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 and you were the hero, and everybody wanted to be your friend because you were like the school stud or status if you were a woman. And then, and then a new kid comes to school, and they just happen to be a soccer player also, or tennis, chess. And they just happen to be a little bit better or maybe a lot bit better soccer player than you. And they start scoring the goals and they start being the one that everybody wants to hang out with and be their friend. And How would you feel? Or, or how did you feel? Um, threatened? Uh, what did you feel like doing about it? Maybe wanted to slip some laxative in their, you know, Coke. Or, or accuse them of cheating on a math exam so they get kicked off the team. Oh, don't tell me you've never had thoughts like that. Okay, let's, let's maybe bring a little bit closer. Let's, let's imagine you're at work, okay? And you're a respected and, and valued employee at work. Your boss likes you. And, you know, you're kind of working your way up and, and, and you're, you're thinking. In fact, you're pretty sure that that raise and promotion is, is yours. You're the one. And then a new employee is hired. And all of a sudden, you know, they start kind of excelling and, and maybe kind of outshining you and... And, and the rumor out there is maybe they're the one that's going to get the, the promotion instead of you. How does it make you feel? Happy. No. Threatened, right? Threatened by this other individual. And, and what does that make you want to do? Okay, you didn't like the laxative thing, so we'll um, maybe start a rumor mill, you know? To get them fired or to devalue them in the eyes of 
your boss. Maybe falsely accuse them of something. Um, okay, kind of a totally different scenario, but let's say that whether it's at school or or at your employment, among your friends, you know, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. But but where you go to school and, and, and in your workplace, that's not really considered a really smart thing to be. You know, kind of the a Christian is kind of like somebody with sub sub IQ, you know, because to believe in this in a God really doesn't take a whole lot of IQ, right? I mean, it's not very scientific. Um, and so what if your ability to get a promotion or to be accepted by your friends or to get a raise or to be part of the in crowd would be threatened by being open about the fact about the fact that you are a Christian, that you're a follower of Jesus. And then somebody let out the news. How would you feel? Threatened? Like you would be less of a person? You wouldn't be accepted? You might not get promoted? Um, what would you do? Maybe like Peter, when Jesus was before Caiaphas, like, I don't know that guy. I don't know who you're talking about. Jesus? Um, so I want you to keep these things in mind as we, as we begin to talk about Herod and his response to the news that a new king of the Jews had been born. And I want you to begin to think, maybe we aren't too much different than Herod in some ways. So when we come to Matthew chapter 2, we come, just to give us a setting here a little bit, we come and some wealthy, obviously important dignitaries have arrived in Jerusalem. I mean, we're talking a lot of people. We're not talking we three kings of Orient are. We're talking probably dozens and dozens of people because these magi, these, and we're going to talk about that in, in, in a couple of weeks, but these important dignitaries from Persia, obviously wealthy with dozens of camels and dozens of servants in this retinue are obviously important and have showed up in Jerusalem in mass, unexpected, surprised, and are asking the question, we're here because of the, the new king that's been born. And we want to know where he is because we want to pay homage to him. That's the Magi. You know, what's interesting to me, maybe one of the most interesting things about this passage is these are foreigners from a foreign country hundreds of miles away who have been journeying for probably maybe about a, a year and a half or so. I mean, we're estimating that Herod, when he had the, the babies killed, the baby boys killed, killed those who were two years old and younger. So I think Herod, being the crafty kind of guy that he was, was allowing for some leeway. So probably maybe a year, year and a half old, the baby Jesus was at the time. But And so these magi had been traveling gone through extensive preparations and now had been traveling for a year, year and a half in order to pay homage to this foreigner, this king of the Jews. And incredibly, it is totally new news to Herod 
and to the chief priests, the religious leaders. They were clueless. Isn't that, isn't that kind of interesting? It's kind of like somebody showing up from Alabama. That's about as foreign as I could think, but, you know. <laughs> it's a nice place. <laughs> wow. Let's say, well, forget it. We're not going to go there. Okay. We'll say... Meredith, Alabama is nice. I've never been there, but I'm assuming it's nice. So we'll, we'll say somebody's shown up from Alabama. You know, it's like a foreign country. And because they speak different there, right? You know, kind of like, <laughs> okay, we'll move on. And, and Mississippi, right, okay. And they show up in Bremerton and say, we're here for the inauguration of your new Bremerton mayor. And we're like, Mayor Bremerton? Uh, we didn't even know we had a mayor in Bremerton. We do, okay, in case you didn't know that. And she's really nice. <laughs> Just like the people from Alabama. Okay, and, but it'd be like, I mean, that's how, this is even more incredible. Supposedly, this is their king that had just been born, and they are clueless. The political leaders and religious leaders are totally clueless, and it's some foreigners that come in and let them know. And what it does is it, it elicits these incredibly different responses that I want us to identify. And, and like I said, it's Herod. Herod, how does he respond? We're going to look at a couple, but the first thing, notice it says in verse 3, it says, he was disturbed. You know, that is really stating it mildly as, as we read on, right? He was disturbed. And why is he disturbed? Because he's king, right? I mean, it would, this would be like, well, you know, back to the mayor of Bremerton since we're, I won't spread it out and get more in trouble. Um, I'll apologize to Patty later. The, uh, um, let's imagine that somebody shows up at City Hall and, they, and, uh, and, and Patty Lentz, standing right here, and, and she overhears somebody saying, oh, it's so good to have you as mayor of Bremerton. She's listening like, what are they talking about? I'm mayor of Bremerton. And that's why Herod's disturbed is because he is the king of the Jews. And there's some foreigners coming in and saying, we're here to pay homage to the king of the Jews. And I want you to know, Herod has worked hard to become the king of the Jews. And, and, and I, I want to read to you how hard he worked at becoming king of the Jews. So this is a little bit of history. If you're not a history buff, you should be. Herod was born in Edomia, which is, actually, which is another name for Edom. Edom was really an enemy of Israel. There had been a lot of warfare between them. And so he was born an Edomite in 74 BC. He was the second son of Antipater, who was an Edomite, who was a high-ranking official under Hyrcanus II. And as a loyal supporter of Hyrcanus II, Antipater was able to get his son Herod appointed governor of Galilee, governor of Galilee where the Jewish people are lived. And He's an Edomite, okay? Unfortunately for Herod, and 
um, Antipater, two years later, Antigonus, Hyrcanus's nephew, took the throne away from his uncle with the help of the Parthians. So Herod fled to Rome with the Romans to restore him to power. He kind of, you know, going above the head of these folks, going to Rome. That's, they're the rulers. And he, he, he appealed before um, the Roman Senate and was appointed king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. Herod went back to Judea to win his kingdom because he was appointed it, but he still had to kind of prove it. So he went back to Judea to win his kingdom from Antigonus, and at the same time, being the crafty kind of guy that he was, he married the teenage niece of Antigonus, his opponent, Miriam, who was a Jewess, in an attempt to secure a claim to the throne and gain the favor of the Jews, because he's an Edomite, okay, an enemy. Unfortunately, Herod already had a wife, Doris, and a three-year-old son, Antipater. Uh, so he banished them so that he could marry Miriam and um, attain the throne and the title of king of the Jews. That's only the beginning. Three years later, Herod and the Romans captured Jerusalem finally, and being the nice guy that he was, he executed Antigonus. At that point, Herod took the title as the sole ruler of Judea and king of the Jews, ushering in the Herodian dynasty, and ruled for 37 years. I want you to see that, I mean, he worked hard to become the king of the Jews. He was a usurper. He was a puppet of Rome and a usurper, an Edomite usurper of the title king of the Jews. And yet he's disturbed, and I, I guarantee you, he wasn't about to give up the kingdom he had worked so hard to gain. Notice it says, so he was disturbed, but notice it says, and all Jerusalem with him. And you know, as we read on, we understand why. Um, Herod's not a nice guy, in case you missed that. Um, I was going to ask for a raise of hands, but I'm, I'm not doing really well this morning, so we're, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I'm guessing, and, and, and if, if I'm wrong, please don't raise your hand because I don't want to know, that none of you have named your children or have brothers and sisters or cousins named Herod. It, it's just not the kind of, you know, sometimes we name, I mean, we don't even name our dogs Herod unless it's a bulldog, Right? Um, it's kind of like we don't name our daughters Jezebel. We don't name our kids Herod because he just wasn't a nice guy. L- let, me, let me read you a little, just a little bit more about Herod and why all Jerusalem was disturbed along with him. This is how Herod was described by a historian. It says, he was a madman, who murdered his own family and a great many rabbis. He was was the evil genius of the Judean nation, a man prepared to commit any crime in order to gratify his unabounded ambition. That's Herod. He would do whatever it took to be the king of the Jews. Remember Doris, his first wife that he banished, and his son Antipater? Well, that wasn't enough, and... 
out of fear that Antipater might try to take his throne, he had him executed. Remember his second wife, Miriam, who he banished Doris for? Well, he executed her also and her first two sons out of fear that they might try to take the throne from him also. Herod eliminated anyone and everyone whom he perceived as a threat to his rule. So no wonder all Jerusalem was disturbed uh, when Herod was disturbed. They expected bloodshed and and they got it. And we see the the end of the reading, the the horrible bloodshed and the pain of the, the parents in Bethlehem because of Herod's attempt to eliminate his competition. What do we learn from Herod and his response to the birth of Jesus? I mean, simply that Jesus was a threat to him and needed to be eliminated. There could only be one king of the Jews, and that was going to be Herod. So I want to ask us again, are we any different? Are we any different? Remember, there can only be one king. So the question I want us to ask this morning is, we, is who is your king? You know, joy to the world. The Lord has come. I mean, the king of the Jews was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. Is he your king? Who is your king? Think about it like this again to to try and bring it home. Imagine if Jesus wanted to go with you to work tomorrow. He wanted to see where you work. He wanted to hang out with you during your coffee break or smoke break. He wanted to meet your fellow workers. He just wanted to know where you work and who you hang out with and Would it be awkward? You know, a little uncomfortable. Would you be hoping that your fellow workers would be on a little better behavior than they normally are? Um, Maybe reduce the dirty jokes to a minimum. Not ask, man, Dave, why are you working harder today than you normally seem to work? Why are you taking kind of a short smoke break when you usually take like a 30-minute one? Would you be glad that Jesus was only there for one day? Imagine if Jesus wanted to go with you to school tomorrow. To meet your friends, to hang out in the lunchroom, to go with you to your classes and, and see what you do before school and, and during breaks and, and after school. I mean, would it be dreadful? Would you want to make an excuse that, I'm not feeling well, I think I'm not going to be able to go to school tomorrow? Would you rather keep Jesus away from your school and your friends? Imagine if Jesus wanted to go with you to the movies to see what movies you like to watch or or what TV shows you like to watch or, or what music you like to listen to or what places you like to hang out. Would you need to scramble to figure out something special to do with Jesus? And would you be glad that he wasn't hanging out for more than a day? 
what's the struggle with those scenarios? I, I think the struggle is who's in charge of our lives? Who's king of our lives? Is it Jesus or is it us or something else? So, so why was it that Herod, and, and why do we struggle with Jesus being king? Three things I think we, we see from this, this text. Three things that we miss what the Magi so clearly saw. That Jesus is king. And three things about that. Jesus isn't trying to be king. Like Herod was trying to be king. Jesus wasn't trying to be king. Jesus was king. Three things about that we see. Number one, he is the only one who could and did fulfill all the prophecies about the promised king. He is the promised king. Jesus is king. The prophecy we see here, I mean, three of them just in this chapter here, all of them revolve around the fact what he fulfilled, he was the promised king. Um, The Magi saw that. Incredibly, foreigners hundreds of miles away had listened to and looked forward to the fulfillment of prophecy and they saw it in this person, this baby that was born in Bethlehem. He, He was the promised king. The second is, is that he's the only one worthy of our worship. Not only is he the promised king, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we see that as, as they describe, they say, we saw a star when, when it arose and we have come to worship him. We haven't just come to, to pay homage to him as the king of the Jews. I mean, these Persian dignitaries, what would they have to do with the king of the Jews? It's because he wasn't just the king of the Jews. He was the king of kings and he was the Lord of lords. And they didn't come to just honor him as a neighboring king, but they came to worship him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And third that he is the only one who can truly bring joy to and satisfy our seeking hearts. You know, it says as as the Magi, they arrive in Bethlehem, it says on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. I mean, they're overjoyed. They saw what what Herod didn't see, the religious leaders didn't see, and and what so often none of us see, that Jesus, not only is he the fulfillment of all the prophecies, not only is he the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but he is the only one, if he is king and when he is king, who can bring joy and satisfaction to hungry-seeking hearts. He's the only one that can do that. You know, during this time of year, it, it, it sometimes brings out our desire to try and find joy in stuff, doesn't it? Um, it, it was great. I was talking to, uh, meeting with a financial consultant this last week. Um, 
just a really neat guy that makes probably 10 times more than I make a year in a day. No, he makes a lot of money. And, um, and, and he's become very interested in the coffee oasis and people donating stocks to the coffee oasis and supporting what we do. And, but as I got to know him, it was incredible. I mean, how much I gained to appreciate this guy because he and his wife live in a 700-square-foot house. And he makes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. 700-square-foot house. That's smaller than this room. And he was telling me that the only thing he had asked for Christmas was an oil filter. And you're thinking, well, that's because he doesn't need anything. But, you know, people that have everything, they're, you know, what Howard Hughes, the famous billionaire of years ago, was asked, what's enough? And he said, just a little bit more. You know, it's not what we get at Christmas or, or what we can get from anyone or anything else because there's only one who can truly satisfy our seeking hearts and bring joy to us in a way that no one else or nothing else could provide. The Magi saw it. Herod thought he had eliminated King Jesus, a threat to his kingdom, but you know, the reality is, as we look back, Herod just merely became a sad footnote to the glorious story of King Jesus, the God of this universe who came to, to restore his kingdom that sin and death had wreaked havoc in. He came to come to the cross and rise from the dead, and, and he's coming again someday, King Jesus. And it's incredible. Herod, who worked so hard to be king, it's just a sad footnote to the amazing story of King Jesus. What about us? Are we building our own kingdoms like Herod, building what seems so important, and yet and yet, it's going to end in ruins? We can't take it with us. Jesus said, thinking we are gaining the whole world, are we losing our own souls? Trying to become something and, and, and control things and, and own things when the only one who can truly bring us joy and satisfaction and make us who we were created to be, it's when we acknowledge King Jesus. Are we trying to hold on to our our kingdoms, our reputations, our desires, our lives, the acceptance and approval of others? Is that what's important to us? And as a result, we're missing out on Jesus as king of our lives missing out on the blessing and joy and satisfaction of the King of kings and the Lord of lords being our King and our Lord, the one we submit to. And as a result, we experience joy and satisfaction way more, way more, eternally more than we could ever being King of our own lives. Could we again this morning, maybe, maybe for some of us, it's for the first time acknowledging Jesus is king, and I've, I've made so many other things. I've made myself king. I've made this person king. I've made this 
the most important thing in my life. Maybe for some of us this morning, it's for the first time saying, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life. I acknowledge for the first time that I've been in charge of my life and, and I have done a pretty good job of screwing it up. I want you to be king of my life. I want you to be savior and Lord and king of my life so that I can be enjoy life and enjoy you and experience satisfaction as I know I cannot unless you are king of my life. I'd love to talk to you afterwards if, if that's where you're at this morning. But, you know, I... Like a lot of us here this morning, myself included, uh, who have acknowledged Jesus as our Savior and our King, boy, things creep in, don't they? Things creep in and, and, and become important, more important than Jesus. We, we get sidetracked and think, oh, man, this is, this is, this is going to be what brings me joy. This is what's going to bring me happiness. And, and we'll find that it's empty. Could, could we, as, as I close here this morning, maybe as I just give you a few minutes in the quietness of your heart just again to say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that those things I thought were so important are empty. They can't really satisfy. They can't really bring joy. I have tried so hard. I have usurped your kingship just like Herod, and I have become king of my life. And it's left me empty. Lord Jesus, rule over me. Maybe that could be our prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, rule over me. Be king over my life, over my thoughts, over my actions, over my school, my work, my friends. In every way, Jesus, be king again of my life. And and I think this can become the most amazing Advent time of the year as we kind of again invite Jesus to come into our lives, rule over our lives, and we can experience what life is with him as king. Let's pray. Uh, King Jesus, I thank you so much. What, What an incredible, true story of you as king coming to become a servant uh, coming to go to the cross coming to bear my sin and my shame coming to experience death for us King Jesus that that what enslaved us our sin and death we could be freed from we could be forgiven for so that you again could be king of our lives King Jesus please rule over us Amen.